0: We should say something.
1: We should say something about it being our fiftieth episode. It only took us like three years. I'm Jonathan. <laughs> I'm Jeremy. We're the Evangelicals. Everybody, this is this is really groundbreaking. This is huge. It's this welcome to the fiftieth episode yeah. of the Evangelicals podcast.
0: Yeah, we should have some big guest or something, but we we don't. <laughs> We're here. You get you get us. So good. Congratulations. I was I was sitting in a room last week, and somebody said, uh, there were like 60 or
1: 70 people in the room, and the guy hosting the meeting said, somebody in here hosts the podcast. And everybody in the room was like, who?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I was like, oh, well. And he's like, he's like smiling at me,
0: you know, and, and everybody's like, uh. Is there somebody in here that does a podcast? We don't. We have no idea. Yeah, we in our at our at our my church, like pre-service slides. Somebody made a slide about our podcast that flashes. Yeah, I don't think it. You know, nobody pays attention to those things anyway. But I thought it was kind of comical.
1: I should do that because yeah, we. It's not that this is. If you're wondering, you know, why don't you guys promote more? Um, Time, money, (laughs) but also this is just as much for jeremy and i absolutely kind of a catalog of our own conversations and thoughts and where we are but you know we'll look back at this years from now and just and you know listen or kind of reminisce on where we were in our own thought lives as pastors i mean if you're a regular listener we we are so um encouraged by that honored by that you know but we are we are not i guess a kind of a monetized podcast in the sense that we're asking ourselves the question you know how do we
0: how do we, you know, get tons of listeners this week? Yeah, we've we... never had that conversation, <laughs> <laughs> like never, and we don't take, you know, well, when you're saying we would listen back. I was like, and think, remember how wrong we were about so many things.
1: What's do you, do you know? What's, do you know what's the theme that we've we've talked about probably the most? I'm ready. Okay, I was looking. I was looking back a couple of weeks ago, particularly in the beginning, we talked about racial issues a lot. Yeah. And I think it's because we were gearing up for like COVID nineteen and even before the even before the riots and stuff of COVID nineteen, I don't know if we were
0: sensing that there was a lot of racial tension. Well I think it was around that Trayvon Martin and then um the um the St. Louis, what was it? Ferguson You're exactly right. Ferguson. like I think all no, that stuff was right. going Ferguson on. Was yep. And and so I think it was in the air for sure. And um and and you know I don't feel like it's going away.
1: But what's interesting is, to your to your point that you just made, I was looking back and thinking to myself, "Wow, was this in the air?" It's like it's like we forget about things, right? And so when when everything kind of boils over in the COVID nineteen situation, not many of us look back and think to ourselves, "Well, this was here all along, yeah." You know, and it's just kind of waiting for this opportunity. Yeah, it's good. Uh, um, today. We're gonna uh, we're gonna have a conversation about 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 theology, but the, the conversation is coming on because last week in reading I had an epiphany. Watch out! Yeah, <laughs> which buckle your seatbelts. It's one of the it's one of these things that it's not this isn't an original idea. It's just an idea that I hadn't thought until somebody else said it out loud. I before we got on the podcast today, I asked Jeremy name the cat the popular Catholic theologians that you know.
0: And he named a couple. Yeah, Henry Nouwen is the, probably the most popular. Uh, Mother Teresa. I don't know; if she was a theologian as much as her life was more of her. Yeah, theology as a character. Yeah, but she then, didn't
1: write books, and you know, um, the other famous woman early twentieth century, uh, Dorothy
0: Day. Yeah, she would probably be.
1: But but again. What's but even those But even, there's
0: way more Catholic oh, theologians than than that. You could
1: it's probably the case I don't uh Catholicism is larger than Protestantism. Yep. It's it's possible that there are more Catholic theologians writing yeah. theology than Protestants. Well, so anyway, the one of the things that, that I was I was reading an, an essay about the development of theology in America and what struck me is As Protestants, when we go to seminary, we sort of learn that the way to make ourselves marketable as pastors in a consumer market of ministry and theology is to say things that are new or to say things that are unique or to go against the grain. And so when uh, I, I was saying this to Jeremy earlier, as Protestants... Many of us think to think to ourselves, you know, I want to be Luther, I
0: mm. want to change
1: everything, mm-hmm. I want to start it over, you know, because that's kind of the Protestant thing, and that's really attractive. That's how you sell books, you know. Talk to Rob Bell, you know. What I mean, <laughs> I mean, and and I'm not, I'm that's not a disparaging comment. No, no, he no, 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 nailed it in the '90s and early 2000s as far as. He gave Protestants exactly what they wanted and they ate it up. And then there was the other side of Protestantism, right, where John Piper, I would argue John Piper's popular because of Rob Bell, <laughs> because he had somebody like Rob Bell to say, this guy's not orthodox and I'm going to make tons of money, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, defining yeah, yeah.
0: orthodoxy yeah. for Protestants, you yeah. know.
1: Yeah. Um, but but the thing is, so, so so Protestants, we as theologians, we go to seminary and we think to ourselves, I want to be Luther. Catholics go to seminary and they think to themselves I want to be Erasmus and Protestants say to themselves who in the world's Erasmus yeah, say like, raise your hands if you know yeah, who yeah. Erasmus is so he's he's the he's the he's the reformer or counter reformer in the Catholic Church who developed this idea of the via media the middle way mm. and he didn't he didn't want this big splintering to happen in the church um, and he went back and forth um, he went rounds with Luther just on kind of a pr- approach to theology and approach to reforming the church and this type of thing. And Erasmus is really, in my opinion, this kind of silent hero fighting to keep the marriage together, you know, that in the end really unraveled and gave us kind of the situation that we're in as far as theology is concerned. But Jeremy, in this, in this epiphany, if we'll call it that, okay. it just, it just hit me that there are so many aspects of the consumer capitalist theological milieu that we live in that shapes the shapes the way we do ministry um, that shapes our self-understanding as pastors that may not be healthy
0: do you have any do you have any thoughts I, I, on yeah i was going to ask for like examples of unhealth like what do you well so what would you throw in that that bundle or that that cart so let's uh, let's talk about
1: preaching okay I will confess that sometimes when I go to preaching, I think to myself, "Here's what I want to say. Hmm. Here's who I want to tick off this week. Hmm. Here is so it's everything I'm saying right now is ego, sure, right? But that's kind of that's kind of a, a Protestant approach, and it's not that Catholics don't have that approach, but Catholic theology is more about the liturgy the, the movement of the church and keeping the church together than necessarily, you know, ticking
0: people off or, um, re- reforming all the time. I, I think that, that when it comes, when it has come to preaching and writing books is, is we don't in, in the Protestantism and, you know, before Christian bookstores, bookstores started closing, um, you know, you could walk in and it, it, It felt, and this is going to be a big generalization, so don't. I mean, don't. You know, if you want to tweet at me, go for it. Nobody ever does, but you know, throw that out there. Um, It it tended to feel more like a self help section than it did. Here's what we need to work on to really be authentic to who Jesus is calling us to be. You're saying the Protestant theology, yeah, 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 yeah. popular pop Christianity, or you know, is what it's been called, and. And I think that self-help, I'm like I'm not knocking that we need to work on ourself, but we do tend to lean into that because I think we have made our religion and our faith more individualistic than an understanding of being a part of a community that shapes us and a community that speaks into us and a community that beckons us to be more like Jesus. And I think the reason that's a big shift is because I feel like what we see in Catholics is they want to get the church right now we may not agree with all the things they do but they're focused on how does the church be holy or how does the church form people or how does the church help us understand what does it mean to follow the jesus who died on a cross and we have focused more on how do i become a better person how do i have this personal um salvation experience and it's almost like you don't need the church. It's almost divorced from the church that you don't have to be a part of a community that's shaping you and forming you and calling you. And so I feel like we, we tend to uh, preaching lended itself to less being prophetic and more to, I don't want to offend these people, or I don't want to, because once again, getting to that whole understanding, if I offend them, they may leave and go to another church. My church won't grow. I won't get that promotion and go to the next, you know, be able to get to the bigger church or have more people or be able to build a building or whatever we deemed as success in the church. Once again, building bigger buildings, having more programs, having this whole understanding. And so if I preach something that's going to potentially be offensive or that's going to be harmful to to people and they feel that. I mean, for lack of a better term, they have conviction that they're not actually living like Jesus. And they think, I don't want to feel that again. So I'm going to go somewhere that actually makes me have, you know, goosebumps or, you know, it makes me feel good about myself. And it's interesting because I think I mentioned we're preaching through Revelation and this Sunday we're at and where um, the angel has a scroll that's open and John's supposed to eat it. And he yeah. says, it's going to be sweet, but when it gets in your stomach, it's going to be better. And I think we've lost the understanding that the gospel wow. is sweet in our mouth, but there is an offense to it as well that that should make our stomachs turn and make... And we we don't often get to the offense of the gospel, but we we love the sweet part of the gospel. We love the grace without the call to the holiness and the call to the bigger life. And so we... And so that doesn't sell. And so therefore we, as Bonhoeffer, I think would say, we, we, we give cheap grace. That's a lot of Jesus, but no sacrifice a lot, you know, and, and he has this whole thing in the cost of discipleship about what cheap grace is and costly grace is. And I think that we don't want to talk a lot about the cost because we don't want people to leave and go find some place that they can just get what they want. I don't know. Is that... No,
1: that's really interesting. I think that one of the things we've also done in Protestantism is we have, uh, we have become, we've encouraged kind of specialists in, in pastoral ministry. And there's this guy, Alan Hirsch, who made a lot of money going around um, saying that um, he has this, the idea of Paul's understanding of a fivefold ministry, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher and he says you know that in the church in in america teaching and shepherding is has kind of been lifted up for the pastors you know but being an apostle apostle being a prophet and being an evangelist those three things those three aspects of pastoral ministry have have kind of left the pastoral scene because if you're good at teaching and you're good at shepherding you're going to get a job Mm. you know but if you're not a good if you're not but if you're a prophet Nobody really wants a prophet because prophets, you know, they take you off. Yeah. An apostle is this restless person who, you know, wants to innovate, you know, and an evangelist. What's funny is we actually have, even in our denomination, we have people that we recognize as having the gift of evangelism, which in my experience means this person has a dozen sermons That they're good at delivering and they go around and they get people excited about those 12 things and then they kind of create a mess for a local pastor and they move on to we turned evangelism
0: into you have a week of services or five days of services rather than a lifestyle of building relationships and actually living with people like winning people yeah for the gospel and like a like relational kind of way. Yeah. (laughs) I bring my friend to get evangelized rather than me being the one who is living life with them and and being Jesus to them.
1: But one of of the things um, you, you lifted up the idea, the idea of prophecy of the pastor. I feel like we have this understanding in pastoral ministry that if I'm prophetic, I have to leave. Hmm. Like if I, if I call out the sin, then I, then I have to leave. Abraham Joshua Heschel in his book The Prophets he his opening chapter is what manner of man is a prophet. Hmm. And in it he says that the prophet in Israel is one who shares the fate of the people. The prophet is not just someone who stands who stands out and yells at them. But the prophet says us. Yeah. The prophet speaks on behalf of God where God says this is going to happen to you but if you turn and the prophet being the mouthpiece of god also recognizes that his fate is tied up in whether or not these people turn
0: hmm. you know and i So he doesn't like, speak separate from the community but as part of the community. Yeah. Yeah, okay.
1: And i i feel like in in protestantism the pastor is in some ways separate from the community. Like the pastor is not someone who lives inside of it, you know, and understands, okay, well, I'm, I'm pastoring and shepherding these people for 20 or 30 years. This is my vocation, you know, what's, what's interesting you know, and so, um, so smaller churches tend to be stepping stones Hmm. in ministry, Mm -hmm. you know? Where, you know, you get a good pastor in a small church, they're lucky to be there five years because, you know, a district superintendent is going to call them to something bigger because in some idea, for some reason, bigger means better. In my experience, bigger usually just
0: means more ego. <laughs> and but it plays into the whole understanding of selling yourself to get the next job, you know. And, and that's the way the – I mean, if we're just honest, it's the way the American economy works. And the well, way, that's right. You know what I'm saying? Like you – put in your time, you get the promotion, and you keep working yourself up. And and so we've turned being a pastor into that understanding rather than a, a biblical understanding of what does it mean to be within the community and a part of the community and and digging deep and saying, we're going to talk about hard things, but I'm going to be here with you before, in the middle, and after, and we're going to figure it out together. What does it mean to be faithful to, to Jesus?
1: Well. And even, even as I listened to parishioners who say to me, parishioners will often ask me, and maybe this happens to you also, they'll bring an author to me and they'll say, we well, you know, what do you think about this person? Right? Because there is such a market for theology out there for Protestant theology, particularly. And my answer is often frustrating to people because I say that person's making a lot of money. <laughs> That's what I think. Yeah. Whatever they're saying they know that it's going to sell.
0: Yeah.
1: And so I'm suspicious. <laughs> because because Jesus didn't make a dime. <laughs> you know, and the gospel historically, you know, um it's it's amazing that Mother Teresa is so famous because she lives in an impoverished lifestyle. Never wrote a book. Yeah. Yeah, I mean a lot was written about her. That's exactly right. And but never you know. Because yeah, the way of Jesus, you know, People ask me, you know, for example, you know, what do I think about, you know, Andy Stanley? He's kind of the quintessential, safe, evangelical guy. He doesn't misstep publicly. He's got this massive church and massive following. And, you know, often I say, well, I actually don't think about Andy Stanley because I'm not him, you know, and he lived in he lives in a particular situation where his father kind of set him up for ultimate success he knows the system he's very connected you know he is bedfellows with all of the industry owners of the christian you know protestant machine you know but but even if you were to um my friend was telling me about going to north point on a weekend that he wasn't or at a time that he wasn't preaching they're gonna kind of bring up this massive screen across the stage and it's almost like a hologram. Like he mm-hmm. looks like he looks like he's there, but he's not really there preaching. Mm-hmm. And that that idea that if we can get people to feel like they're in the presence of Andy, listen, I'm I'm gonna freak people out by what I'm saying. That's not Christianity. That's a personality cult. You know, like it's not and people would say, No, no, that's not you can't believe you said that Danny Stanley's a cult leader. He's a Christian and he's orthodox and well maybe maybe in in theology, mm-hmm. which he's learned to sell really well, mm-hmm. but in incarnation he's a heretic mm-hmm. because God comes to us physically and he's with us presently, right? And pastoral ministry is not primarily about selling religious goods, even though we've made it such. Mm-hmm. Pastoral ministry is about incarnation, is about being somewhere. You said something interesting about your own situation. You're at Paulding Church of the Nazarene, which before listening to this podcast, probably many people have not heard of. Not that anybody's heard of Lima Community Church of the Nazarene either. I mean, oh, come there. on, Lima's way. <laughs> it's bigger, but it's but it's like- You guys I mean, have glee, still... we, got, we, oh, got, we got nothing. Well, that's Lima generally. <laughs> But, but you were saying in the 105 year history of your church, you are the second longest tenured pastor at nine years. Yeah. Which even Lima's had a 22, we've had a 22. And honestly, it was during that 22 that the church really, really became what it was and really grew. Yeah, It was rooted in kind of an incarnational ministry, you know?
0: Yeah. I think that, um, I think it is really important. And I think, you know, with Andy, Listen, we're not saying that North Point's not doing great things in people's, you know, like I think people jump to, well, you're saying Andy's not. I mean, I think, I think with anything, God can use anything to he speak. He does to use people. North Point. Absolutely. We, and so we we're have not. So many of
1: their resources.
0: Yeah, but it's, it's once again gets to the point that in Protestantism, we can't hear something that we're challenging. Without jumping to the conclusion that you think we think everything they're doing is terrible. We we lack the ability to critique ourselves. Yes, yes. Because, and to say things that, that doesn't mean that we just throw North Point, you know, out with, with everything. It's just saying there are things that when we look at Jesus that sometimes we see and, and truly having that understanding of of what does it mean to be incarnate, God incarnate, and what are we teaching our people? How is the church forming? And um, there was a guy, Shane Hips, and some other people not too long ago that wrote books talking about um, the method is just as important. How you teach, you're telling your people something about theology that that the means is just as important or the method is just as important as what you are actually saying the method is the message yeah yeah and 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 so we don't think about that a whole you know that that if i see somebody on a screen what am i saying about a god do i think he's disembodied somewhere far off rather than present with me journey with me through what i'm going through And so i think that what's really critical for churches of size is to figure out what does that look like and i think there's there's ways to to make it happen but it would just be interesting if andy stanley leaves or whatever what happens to north point is it built around his his persona his his presence you know his face on a screen or is it really built around authentic community that hopefully happens in small groups and 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 where do those people find that connection to North Point I guess
1: one of the things that has made me sad in the mega church consumerist subculture that we have created in the church that mirrors the world is that i often ask myself the question what experience do you have in the church that you cannot have in the world? Mm. I think that we're more existential than we would like to admit. I think that all of us ask that question about everything. You know, the reason that you, you know, take your kids to dance class every week is because you want them to have that experience. Mm. The reason you take your kid to baseball, you work with your kid at baseball is because you want them to, to understand that experience, like physiologically. What happened in COVID is we really programmed people to ask themselves the question, how am I most entertained? Mm. So which preacher do I like the best? Which music do I like the best? And to kind of rate, you know, church in, in that kind of worldly paradigm, Mm. you know, what am I, what am I getting out of it? And again, this is, this is the Protestant consumerist, you know, I, my Catholic friends were not entertained by catholic mass online during the pandemic and they they say to themselves now like thank god we can finally be back in yeah. in church with people because this was terrible yeah. right and all of us protestants were arguing about like hey you know your, your camera angles they're really lame you need to step up your game or like it's like what are we even talking about like why do we even care
0: like why do we why do we care but, but some of them enjoyed it much better in their pajamas on their couch than they did actually being in person. Sure, and yeah, and I, under, I understand
1: that. I mean, there is kind of this overworking, active go 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 that there's an element of the pa- of the pandemic that was a blessing in disguise, mm-hmm. and you know, teaching people to slow down. But I think, but I think the question that I that I've been asking so much is, what even is the church? Hmm. Is it this disembodied, entertaining thing, you know, or is it is it something that is un- uniquely an expression, like a physical expression of Christ on earth, an incarnational expression of Christ on earth. And if it is, then I'm not gonna waste my time trying to sell books or make really, really cool videos to sell to random people out there that I don't know. I'm going to be invested 100% in my community in seeing the incarnate Christ lived out. Yeah. You know? and but protestants we spent we've we've completely sold out to spending our time to spending our time in asking
0: the question what what can we sell what can we sell to the masses um this is probably not a normal Lenten discipline but um i've really been um journeying through um with a guy like rich rich mullins the 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 he was part of CCM, Contemporary Christian Music, but he almost saw himself as outside of it. Yeah, totally. So I was, and if you don't know, he's he's was a guy who did a lot of music and passed away uh, in a car accident in 1997, I think. But just he was kind of he called himself a ragamuffin. He was kind of on the outside trying to speak to a thing. But I heard him, so I've been watching some videos and just trying to to listen to his voice um, a little bit during this Lent season and. He was talking about the christian music industry and he's like i never understood he's like the christian music industry compares itself to what's happening in the regular music yeah. industry and so we say we need somebody to sound like this person and we need a, a an artist that sounds like these people so that we can sell that genre to christians and he, he almost sounds like stanley howard a lot when he talks but he says we should be saying, "What does it mean to make Christian music and to Christian art and Christian whatever?" Who cares what's happening in the world? But we want to be faithful. He's like, and that doesn't mean it always has to be from a Bible verse. Or we could talk about love. We could talk about the, you know, we could create this stuff, but we don't do it because we want to sell things. You know, he was like, it was all about selling records, and he's like, listen, the Christian music industry is a. Is about making money, like you think it's about Christ. Um, yeah, you think it's about all these things, but he. But then he looked at the crowd and said, "But the reason it's like that is because that's what you're telling the industry that you want. Yeah, you want somebody that sounds like I don't know who the big groups were, but you know we get a DC talk who's like the hip hop, and we get a you know a whatever, and everybody gets up in arms when Amy Grant writes a love song and says she sold her soul to the devil, and she's like maybe." There's a room in Christianity to talk about love, you know yeah. what I'm saying, and loving each other, um, and and just even intimate love. And so I think the point was we look at what's happening in the world and think, how do we capitalize on on what the world's listening to and make a, a Christian version of that, rather than saying, no, let's let's be Christian, let's let's make things that glorify who we think God would be, and how do we understand that, no, we're the church, and we have something, a kingdom, you might say, or an ethic or a, a, a an understanding of life that we're living for. And we're going to be unapologetic about who we are, who we think God's called us to be. We're going to look at ourselves and try to help us understand how do we be faithful to that Jesus. And um, I don't know, it just really hit me. Uh, And, you know, I I went to school in Nashville, so I I was kind of heard a lot of the inside rumors about Christian music and stuff. And it's not it wasn't what you think it was. You know, it was about making money. And and there were artists who weren't even Christians who were singing Christian music because they couldn't make it in. Yeah. In the the regular, you know, Jeremy,
1: the Christian music industry is a great example of consumerism and Christianity. So particularly CCLI. And some of you may not know what CCLI is. It's the Christian Copyright Licensing. Um, I don't know what I stands for. Uh, I'll look that up later. Uh, but it, essentially what happened in the 80s is a bunch of lawyers got together and said, hey, all of these, there's this new phenomenon of integrity music, Hosanna music, uh, the Jesus people were were selling songs that people were singing in churches. And they thought to my, themselves, how do we monetize this? Hmm. How do we, how do we make it so that people are when when someone writes a song and it's sung in church, they can get paid for it? Mm. And so there's this there's this membership that evangelical churches, Methodists, Mainlines all across the nation pay every church pays hundreds of dollars into this organization called CCli, yeah, so that every time a song is sung in, ch- in church. That's written by Chris Tomlin or one of these guys. That's running the industry. They can get a nickel. Okay, these folks are making millions and millions of dollars. Well, what happens? Sadly, so right now there's this really hot group called Maverick City Music. A couple years ago, they started coming out with stuff, and if you went to Maverick City, you could print off their chord charts, and they were encouraging folks to just sing their songs in their churches. They were incre- they were just so excited about you know the, the kind of the move of the spirit that was going on in there in Atlanta and right. Well, if you go to their website now. Any of their new stuff it says for any album after whatever the album was a couple years ago you need to go to ccli Mm. they've completely sold out to the system Mm. they've realized you know we if we make it open source and we just share all of our chords and stuff with people we don't make the money yeah but if we do it via ccli we can make so much more revenue right and i'm i i hate ccli uh i i pay into it yeah because i sing so- because there's not enough of us right now writing um I, okay so i you're gonna many people are gonna think that i'm a sellout and i, I possibly and i'm very open to the fact that i'm a sellout but like i get people here at the church that 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 pressure me big time to do mainstream music yeah sure like it's it's a huge thing like people tell me their opinions. They tell me when they think the music is terrible, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of pressure to do, to do music. That is, that is mainstream that people are hearing on the radio, right? Well, the problem is I live in, I live inside of a system where we have taught people that when they come to church, they should be entertained. Mm. And if they're not entertained, they should kick back. And there's not enough people like me writing music. So like I've written like five or six congregational worship songs that I'm proud of that, that I would want to sing. Well, if we sing Jonathan's six songs and use the hymnal, everybody's leaving. Yeah, You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like people want to, see, and the thing is, I like Chris Tomlin's, How Great Is Our God? Great song. Like I like, I like a lot of these, you know, I love Matt Redman's 10,000 Reasons. I mean, they're just some beaut, but they're CCLI. Right. And so to sing them, and this is, this is true. Go check this out. To sing them with my congregation, if I don't want to get sued, I have to pay this organization hundreds of dollars. And so, and this is the system that we live in. It's about selling it. What's crazy is once you become, once you sell out to CCLI, then you become a part of the money machine. And the fact of the matter is there are a couple of people that they find their way to put their name on all of these songs. So like, if if you look at a Maverick City song, it'll have like, like six writers on it oh yeah, and there'll be a couple writers. There'll be a name or two that you're like, huh, that person's not a part of Maverick city. Well, it's an industry person that wants to get that wants to get a nickel. They're ensuring Maverick city that they're going to get a nickel and they're also going to make sure that they get their nickel every time it's sung somewhere. Right. Yeah. I mean, it is. And the world would look at it and say, well, that's capitalism, man. What's wrong with that? Yeah. Well, Christianity is supposed to be driven by a fundamentally different ethic
0: yeah. than profit. Do you think that, um, that part of understanding once again, that when we ingest God's word, that there's going to be some offense as well, that we have, um, so gotten away from that, that people can actually, here's what I'm trying to say. I feel like I'm trying to get at something. I'm just thinking out loud, um, I think that if we can read the Gospels and read who Jesus was and if he's the one that we are trying to emulate and trying to be like, if I can make it through the four Gospels and not be offended at some point, am I really understanding who Jesus was? No, the answer is no. (laughs) Or... Or have I, as I forget who said it, that God made us in our image and then we returned the favor and made him in ours. Have we made Jesus into something? Or God made us in his image. God made us in, in, in his, his image. image. That's what, yeah, exactly right. And we returned the favor and made him in ours. Yeah. That, that we've turned Jesus into something that he supports all the things that I like and the politicians I like and the people that I like and the policies I like, and we're not offended anymore by Jesus and yet. If we were to really, I think, understand, we should be deeply convicted and and called to something higher than we currently are. If you're not offended, then you're saying you've arrived. Like you, what else is there for you to do? And and we believe in our denomination and our tribe, there's always room for growth. There's always room to become more holy. There's always room to to allow God to shape us and transform us. But we have so made it this personal endeavor that we can turn Jesus into my personal understanding of who I think He is. And if you tell me something different, well, this is what I believe. You know what I'm saying about who Jesus is? And it's like, yeah, but that's not what the Bible says about who Jesus is. And we've lost the ability, and maybe I would even say even the want to, of to have Jesus speak to us and and point out things in our life that need to be changed. We should like, I feel like when we come together, we should long for that. And we've lost the – so once again, where we're talking about the difference between Catholicism and Protestantism is Catholicism says, no, we're the church. These are things that we are trying to say we think – and once again, we're not saying you have to agree with all of them, but they haven't been – or they haven't leaned into – trying to conform to what society is doing they're saying this is who we are we critique ourselves for trying to get better um luther had all these things and what people understand is the catholic church reformed and and all the things i think most of the things luther had a problem with i don't know about all but they changed you know and technically we should all be catholics because they 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 did they They transformed yeah they did reform um so i think that we've lost the ability for the church to be that voice because we have so bought into the idea of the individual that now each individual, Jesus agrees with all of their stances and all of their things, yeah. rather than me coming to Jesus and saying, I am not where I need to be. I'm not where I was. You have brought me um, places and, and I've grown, but I'm not where I want to be. And it reminds me of uh, the apostle Paul who says, not that I've already obtained it, but I'm pressing on. Yes, like I, I'm pressing on. To become more like Jesus, and how do we recapture um, not the the Jesus that just supports all the things that I like and want, but how do we recapture the Jesus that causes to holiness, that calls us to be yes. like Him, that calls us to to truly see the world like He sees and to see people like He sees them, and to um, once again, as the apostle Paul said, not to conform to the patterns of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, so that we can know what God's will is—His good, pleasing, and perfect will—and um, so I just think we've, we any time we we bring offense or we bring a a a word that might convict, it doesn't sell. And so, if you want your churches to be full, if you want, um, if you want to to truly um, sell books, if you want to bring in the tithe. Um, the, the better route, the easiest route is to be unoffensive. But if you really want to be faithful and want people to be holy and are, are calling people to a deeper discipleship, um, those things may not happen. And I think you have to be comfortable with, with what that might look like. Yeah.
1: I think there, I think that there, we are in somewhat of a crisis or scandalous situation in the church. You know every person that came to Jesus, asking him to approve their lifestyle or ethics, he always he always called them to go to the next level. Yeah. And to your point, if we as Protestants read the gospel and are satisfied with ourselves, we're completely missing the point. Yeah. And we have to we have to stop seeing church and theology as a product that I either buy or sell, and that I'm satisfied with. We have to start seeing our theology and our churches as communities that are calling us to something higher, Mm. as kind of an an enterprise that we're investing in together, Mm. that we're not getting some capitalist massive return for. Mm. But that we're, this is why Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven,
0: Mm.
1: right? This is not, you cannot serve both God and money. (laughs) Like, I mean, he really, he essentially, I mean, he he said in not as few words, the economic system of the kingdom of God is not capitalism. And I'm not, I'm not talking about money right now. I'm talking about a spiritual system of how you get your heart right with God. Yeah. It's a perspective
0: thing, you know? I mean, the Beatitudes are this announcement of what this kingdom looks like, the the poor in spirit. And in Luke, it just says the poor, um, those who mourn are the ones who will be comforted. Those who, um, hunger and thirst for righteousness are the ones that are going to be filled. Um, You know, Uh, Mary's magnificent. the The proud are going to be brought down, and the lowly are going to be lifted. I mean, he's. This is what he said. The kingdom looks like the announcement. This, you know, it wasn't commandments. It was like, no, this is, this is what it is. This is what it is. You're going to. I was.
1: I actually read Luke's version of the Beatitudes this morning, and I was struck by how direct he is. (laughs) You, you're poor. Blessed are you. Um, I feel like Matthews is more general. Blessed are, at least as it's translated, blessed are the poor. Blessed are these, you know, people who mourn. And, and, and then finally toward the end, he says, blessed are you when people persecute right. you. Right. But I, it just struck me. It struck me that, you know, Jesus
0: is looking at people
1: yeah. and saying, hey,
0: you're poor. What's interesting too in Luke is there's also a woe that con- that, that is a almost an opposite of the beatitude. Where in Matthew, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And Luke, he's like, blessed are the poor, but woe to you who are rich. Like, (laughs) yeah, like it's pretty, I don't know, pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think once again, it's, and it goes back to, I think the incarnation and how do we be incarnational people? and, And just to, you know, if that word is a new word, basically what it means is how do we Jesus' incarnation is flesh and blood. He, he came and dwelt among us, moved into the neighborhood, as Eugene Peterson said, and, and how important is it for us to say the most important thing we can do and be about our people and to be with people and to journey with people and to be in the community and to journey with the community and to, to be a presence of, of Jesus amongst the people and in the midst of the people that he's been with us. And, um, and if a lot of people come great, but if they don't, it doesn't mean that we are failures or that we're not living into the understanding of who Jesus is and being Jesus in our community. The
1: evangelicals podcast is recorded at Lima community church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio.